0: What do you do when you interview people with as much experience as Ward Ashman and Raz Ingrassi have in that conversation? Well, you listen. And I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation between Ward and Raz as they talk about how to help people change, how to help them transform. They've been in this field a long time in helping people and helping systems in the transformation process, through the Enneagram and the Nine Doors, and of course the Hoffman process. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Drew Horning. And on this podcast, we catch up with graduates for conversations around how their internal work in the process is informing their life outside the process, how their spirit and how their love is living in the world around them, their everyday radius. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Hoffman Podcast. My name is Drew Horning, and it's great to have you. I'm so excited for this conversation today. We have Ward Ashman and Raz Ingrassi. We are going to dig in, so settle in and uh, get ready for a wonderful conversation. Ward is the founder and partner of Trimergence. It's a San Francisco-based management consulting firm, and they have patented the Trimergence Turbo Evolution Culture System. It's an approach that combines a kind of coordinated matrix of self-awareness, interpersonal tools to help leaders and their teams, and entire organizations. They build a business culture that is collaborative, where there are creative partnerships based on the required bedrock of mutually evolving trust, a critical piece. He has a wide range of life experiences, career moves, six years living and working in Asia, 30-year professional career as a psychologist and consultant, and um, has done so much good work, and he's on the advisory board of the Hoffman Foundation and Raz is a Berkeley graduate and has been an executive consultant and facilitator in the human potential movement since 1972. He's also a Hoffman teacher and founded Hoffman Institute Foundation in 1998. Welcome, both of you, to this conversation. I'm so excited. Thank you, Drew. Thanks, Drew. So let me ask you guys a question. How How did this come about that we are having this conversation now in this moment?
1: Well, Ward and I have been friends for about 20 years, more than that. And this past summer, he was the officiant at our son's wedding. And then Liza and I got together with Ward and his wife, Diane, for a celebratory dinner about a month later. And the idea of Drawing the connection between, I'm going to call it the connection between the enneagram and Hoffman. Drawing that out uh, came up in our in our conversation, and we both became really excited. It seemed to have a ton of energy in it, and so that's what we wanted to do, and that's what we're doing today.
0: Yes, the enneagram and and the genesis of Hoffman really are linked together, aren't they?
1: Well, they are historically because originally there was a psychologist, a Chilean psychiatrist named Claudio Narano. He only passed away about a year ago, I think. And he brought the Enneagram to the United States, you know, like 50 years ago, or more than 50 years ago. He was a very close friend of Bob Hoffman's. Claudio was working at Esalen. He was a protege of the great Gestalt psychologist Fritz Perls, and Bob Hoffman was involved with that movement back then. And Bob had developed the basic principles of the Hoffman process starting in 1967. But around 1971, I guess, Claudio said, Bob, we could turn this into a group program, a group process. Uh, You don't have to do it one-on-one with people. And it was Claudio's initiative and they began collaborating. And uh, the first Hoffman process was done uh, at the Berkeley campus the, near the beginning of, in the spring of 1972. So that, you know, in, a few, in only a few months, that's 50 years ago. So all this time over my involvement, I, I worked in, I knew Bob Hoffman going back to 74 and, um, and then really started collaborating with him in 1989. But Claudio was always in the picture, and they were very close friends. And I think Claudio really taught him, taught Bob how to make a group program. Uh, he was the initi- initiator of that. So in a very real sense, Claudio is was Bob Hoffman's chief collaborator in creating the Hoffman process. And so the Enneagram is in the middle of all this, or we could say in the background of all this, well, I'm going to actually defer to Ward to talk about what the Enneagram is and how it relates to, to all of our work, our transformational intentions. But Ward, why don't you talk a little bit about how you see the Enneagram? Uh, you know, what is the basic concept of the Enneagram and what is your interpretation of it?
2: So, Raz, you outlined how Claudio had brought it here to the U.S., and I would say that California was really the birthplace of where the Enneagram had really taken hold. And so, for me, uh, I'd lived here in the 70s, and I came out here in the early 90s, uh, and I'd heard about this, and I had a friend who was using the tool, and I had gone from being a clinician into doing uh, consulting work in business, And so what ended up happening is that the Enneagram is such an extraordinary uh, system that helps people establish a much more profound and rapid self-awareness process uh, and also an awareness of others. And so in a business environment, because of the focus on teams, collaboration, trust, uh, community, uh, the Enneagram was like this natural tool to use uh, as a way to help our clients really connect with each other and build that evolving foundation of trust that you talked about earlier, Drew, which is so critical to any kind of collaboration or business environment or any, literally any human relationship. And so I just saw the power of this system being able to help people uh, essentially have a map or a schematic both of their own state of being and various patterns. And the pattern theme is where we have the interface with Hoffman, uh, which is realizing that these patterns, where do they come from? What's the impact? How are we conscious of them? What do we do with them? All of that loads into the Enneagram. And Raz, and I can see why Claudio could see this direct interface between Bob's work and the Enneagram, because it's really about, ultimately about patterns, pattern recognition pattern mastery, uh, understanding the etiology of the patterns, how they feel, how they show up, impact on others. And so the Enneagram serves as a platform to be able to observe all that in a very conscious way and and in a way that, frankly, uh, is enlightening and also fun because it's liberating uh, to be able to see this in action and experience the impact of that kind of perspective in real time, and even more to see the impact of the awareness of others opening the door to a sense of compassion and partnership, rather than judgment and frustration.
1: Uh, My first encounter with the Enneagram, going back, as I said, maybe, you know, almost 30 years ago, was uh, reading Claudio Naranjo's book, um, I think it's just called Enneatypes. And it was Shocking to me. It was like brutal in the analysis of the propelling energy for each of the nine enneotypes. And what I took away from it at that time was that there are nine basic strategies for dealing with being a a, a human being, for dealing with being a spiritual being having a human experience. And yet, as I spent more time with the Enneotypes and studying it and talking with people who had really devoted a lot of energy to studying the Enneagram and the Enneotypes, it looked more and more to me like they were boxes that people were in. They were almost jail cells. <laughs> and people would justify behavior by saying, Well, I'm a I'm a four or I'm a seven. And that's why I was so fascinated with you and what you and your work, Ward, because the name of your book is The Nine Doors. So instead of looking at them as nine boxes, you look at them as doors. And I'd like to ask you to talk a little bit about that. Why are these – what is that – it's almost a transformational reframing of the of the Enneagram itself, and I'd like you to elaborate a little bit on that.
2: Thanks, Rez. Well, I'll tell you how that evolved. Is And, again, it's because I was working I, – I am working in a business environment where people are looking – to figure out how to grow quickly, to contribute, to succeed, to build relationships uh, versus more of an inner focus or introspective orientation, such as a spiritual seeker. And so what I ended up realizing is that the the type or box model and the way that the Enneagram had been positioned was not inspiring to people in business because it focused on, you know, what was wrong with them in simple terms and then led into that theme that you talked about, Raz, which is I'm a type and therefore this is who I am. And I realized that I couldn't really bring those books or that model into these business environments. And so it led me to kind of go out in the desert, quote unquote, figuratively, and figure out another approach that would be inspiring, inviting, and make sense to people right away. And so as I went through that experience, I realized, oh, these are actually doorways into this amazing system of the human experience. So in a nutshell, the the idea of the type, I realized, was ultimately confining, one. And two is it it didn't inspire business people who wanted to grow quickly and collaborate as quickly as possible rather than to go into a kind of an introspection of what was wrong with them. Uh, And so what it did was it inspired me to go out and find a new way uh, and that actually was an amazing and hugely rewarding journey because it helped me really establish a direct relationship with what I call the spirit of the Enneagram. Because for me, one of the ways I'll frame the Enneagram is physics of consciousness. In other words, it's real. And once one learns the model and can see this amazing diagram in action, then it becomes rather than something separate or 3rd third party, it actually becomes a living experience. And that living experience of the Enneagram is essentially a living experience of the human community in action. Uh, And once I started to feel that and, and realize, oh, this isn't just a model. This isn't some academic tool. This is actually an entree into an experience of this physics of awareness and consciousness. And it's actually a teaching environment. Once one enters in, then the learning becomes intuitive and ongoing and lifelong. And that learning comes from this, what I call the spirit of the Enneagram. And so with that, it's almost like the spirit guided me to see, oh, it's not about a type because a type is kind of a model from, let's say, history, psychology, et cetera. It's really about an entree into the entire human experience and realizing that we're part of everyone that we're all connected and that through that we can learn about ourselves as a way to even more effectively connect and learn about others
0: ward when you when you talk about that i i have this image of doors swinging both ways so that you can learn about others by entering the doorway of their type and it's that community built on the entryway in and out of the types. Is that part of what you're talking about?
2: Yeah. So this is a great, what we're doing right now is so valuable because yes, it's, it's about ourselves, which is to me, what you're saying is the door swings inward. And it's also about others, which is the door swings outward. And it's about others joining in to us as we open our door to them. And I think what's really elegant is that you were using the, also the word type, and so what's ended up happening is that when people think of the word Enneagram, they immediately think of the word type. And so it actually creates a mindset that takes the model into that earlier approach that Raz was talking about. So that's why, <laughs> and it's, it's funny and it can be challenging, is I use the word doorway and not the word type uh, for that very reason. And even though the, vast majority of people are so committed or, let's say, habituated to the concept and the word type that it brings the Enneagram back into that more one-dimensional typing system. Or (laughs) another complicating factor to me is the idea of personality types. Uh, And this was another awareness that I had, uh, and Drew, I'll, I'll kind of lay this out and then stop after this, is realizing that uh, personality is actually a a subset of how we interpret reality and how we interpret reality really has to do with our state of being and our consciousness and our self-awareness and that ability to interpret reality. And again, this goes right to Hoffman because how do we interpret these patterns and what to do about them really becomes the solution. And so by How we interpret reality or state of being, personality comes from that set of interpretations. I need to show up this way because of that, or even, let's say, the negative love syndrome is a particular interpretation. It's not all that we are. Uh, And so, therefore, personality and type has become the platform for how the Enneagram is presented in a public environment now. But in my view, it actually misses the real juice in the enneagram, which is consciousness and state of being, and observing how those how those interpretations translate into these personality patterns, and not seeing ourselves as a personality, but seeing ourselves from a state of being perspective.
1: And Ward, when you say state of being, I think that's synonymous with um, what probably people and often would understand as spiritual being. In other words, my beingness is also another word for my spiritual self.
2: Yes. Yeah, that that part of us that is everything.
1: Right. And so one of the things that I love about the nine doors is that it celebrates diversity. And it gives me, as Drew was just talking about, gives me access to myself and to others and gives others access to themselves and to me. And there's that, you know, actually, e pluribus unum, you know, out of the many, one. And uh, this is so- something very similar to what happens in the Hoffman process, where everyone, there's, you know, a bunch of other people in there. We're all different. We don't know each other. And yet, by dealing with my own patterns effectively, I reveal a self, a being that is connected to everyone else, and they're doing the same thing. And suddenly, you know, by the end of the Hoffman week, we're connected to each other, and they're as if if you've known each other since fourth grade or something. And, you know, we're just really close with each other in a way that's inexplicable but very, very real. And so I I really like that the Enneagram doesn't shy away from our differences nor is it trying to overcome them simply, but it uses them, as you said, as a doorway into a greater reality. And I liked also what you said, that there's a spirit of the Enneagram. There's some truth revealed here as we work with it more and more. And I was wondering if you could talk just a little bit more about that. You know, what is what is the Enneagram revealing to us?
2: Thank you for that, because to me, I think we are at a—and we're always— <laughs> at an inflection point but definitely now as a species we're at an inflection point where we need to figure out how to collaborate. And the collaboration and this is basically by the way fundamental to what we do in a business environment is people have to collaborate in order to create teams that can drive whatever the result is that the organization is looking to create. And the collaboration is all based on how do we both connect with, but interpret others so that we can be inclusive, build community. And so it's that theme of, as we better understand ourselves, that's fundamental. We all know that. However, what the Enneagram offers is a tool that helps us better understand others in a simple way. Uh, And so with that, essentially, we have a roadmap uh, in terms of approach, interpretation, uh, behavioral style, uh, interactional strategy, building that deeper sense of, again, what you said earlier, Drew, is that deeper sense of an evolving foundation of mutual trust. And that's the opportunity that we have as a species is to build that ability to really trust and collaborate and, and create the amazing kind of reality that we've already created, but it, in this very complex system we're in now. And so I, I see the Enneagram as fundamental Uh, as a tool uh, to be able to help us collaborate in a way that obviously is really critical right now, and to have a lot more fun doing it because we don't have as much of that frustration and noise of trying to figure somebody out. In fact, I have this little quip, (laughs) is that we're kind of programmed to assume other people are like we are. And guess what? They're not. But when we attempt to see them as we are, then that leads us to this whole set of patterns of trying to control them to be like us. And it just doesn't work very well. We've seen that in in its relative failures. And what the Enneagram does is it helps us see them for who they are and open up to that deeper sense of compassion and collaboration. And and like I said earlier, trust, love, and gratitude uh, that's really core to who we are as a species and where we can really thrive.
0: I love that, Uh, Ward. how How does that go? Like, take us to. You've worked with uh, hundreds of companies, done work with high level CEOs, executives, C suite. How do how does that work uh, when you bring that? Take us into the the real life scenarios.
2: Well, that is a great question, and I'll tell you why. Because there's a preparation that is required in our view as we come into a a client environment where uh, there's not necessarily among the leaders the orientation towards awareness, consciousness, collaboration as as a state of being. And so we have a range of different ways that we help leaders prepare themselves to actually become Enneagram users, or in our case, Nine Doors users. Uh, and it's based on a very deep dive uh, that is, is, uh, I think, really the hallmark of our work. We call the self-insight program using a range of psychological assessments, assessments that we've created within our business, uh, unique approaches to essentially measuring the unconscious, and then building a very robust report that is within the confines of what, let's say, executives would expect in terms of very dense, deep, profound feedback, especially around themes such as these various patterns, what we call the back of the personality, these blind spots uh, that we all have, and realizing the cost of that relatively limited perspective that is normal to the human condition. And once the executive can realize the cost, because it's all about cost-benefit, and in this case, cost in terms of, reduced performance, now they've got buy-in. And then it evolves from there where they'll now bring their teams in. And this, for example, is exactly what happened at Kempton. We start at the top, the team gets involved. The team then transforms through using Enneagram plus other tools that are part of our portfolio. Uh, And then suddenly now the team shows up as a very attractive set of people who are modeling a fantastic human condition. Uh, And so that creates pull. And the pull is, hey, I want to be part of this. And so then there's a natural cascade downward out into the entire company. Uh, And so, for example, with Kempton, which is such a wonderful business and culture and also platform of how we've developed our system is then we can build a train-the-trainer system even using videos of those top leaders talking about where they fit in the nine doors and what they've learned and it really inspire everyone to want to be part of something really amazing and transformational within a business environment which makes it even more compelling because now it's like uh, i can be my full self at work which is everyone wants and i can have fun learning how to how to interact with <laughs> all kinds of people. And guess who's the biggest beneficiary is my family because I can take everything I've learned at work and bring it home. And that's where it even becomes more fun because then the especially the spouse is usually not surprised when they learn about the Enneagram because it's like, well, I kind of knew that all along. I wish you, you would have listened to me before, but guess what? Here we are. Let's use it. And so it, it's almost like a a fantastic conflagration of fun and joy uh, and discovery that becomes lifelong, it becomes infectious, viral, uh, and 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 just a, a a wonderful way to be alive together as a community.
1: Ward, there are a couple of things you said that really spoke to me. One was that. People don't have to check. Leave themselves at the door. They bring themselves into work, and it's a celebration of diversity and different types of people at work. You can actually be who you are at work. Um, You know, in most cases in corporate America, you're asked to check who you really are at the door, and then you can put that person back on when you leave. But while you're in the corporation, you have to not be who you are. You have to conform, and what you're really talking about is creating a a culture in which uh, who people really are is allowed to flourish. And that seems to me the most attractive thing uh, we ever encounter is someone who is utterly themselves, who is, uh, you know, really willing to be out there. And uh, I remember going to the Kimpton Hotels over the years and seeing how this This culture had shifted to that, and it was amazing. Kimpton culture was truly an amazing culture, and greeted by and served by people who were totally themselves, and therefore connected to me as a guest. It was just there. I liked that, and I want to comment on one of the things. You talk about creating trust with teams. Stephen Covey Jr., the son of the famous author, wrote a book some years ago called I think it was called Business at the Speed of Trust. And he talks about in there that if you're skillful at creating trust, business moves much faster and much more efficiently. I was thinking uh, that inside of Hoffman, when we do the Hoffman process, people come into that state of trust with each other. And also out of your work, they move into that state of trust. And just what an essential, how essential trust is, fundamental It's fundamental to the, to feeling great to being productive yourself and being productive with other people. I don't being productive in the sense of like efficiency, turning out widgets, but full expression of self.
2: Well, I, there's several points you made, uh, Raz. One is what can be done in a business environment such as Kempton, which is a fantastic case study. And by the way, Kempton went from a little company X, you know, X decades ago to now being, I think, number eight or nine in the Fortune 100 best places to work. It's been on that list for years for one reason, the culture and the people. And essentially, the, the key driver of the Kempton culture is being one's best self. And the Enneagram or nine doors in in our case is really the driver to best self because, again, through the doorway model, we're entering into the entire experience of who we are as a human being and how we can be at our best and translate who we are into a gift, into the best self we can possibly be. And when people are inspired to do that, then they show up like they did with you, Raz, because you can't, there's nothing like that. You can't, Everyone wants that. And then I think the second point is, yes, this is happening in business, but even more, this can happen throughout our entire community of human beings, is that trust. And I would add, the last piece is, to me, the formula is even more powerful than trust. It's trust and fun. Because when we trust, we feel safe. And then we can have fun. And then we can collaborate and do great things together. And so that trust-fun formula is Profound. And I think I would frame what you experienced at Kempton, Rez, as that whole theme trust and fun, joy, love, gratitude for being in an environment like this, the best of who we are as human beings. And and I think that's the invitation we have. And that's where the Nine Doors slash Enneagram uh, is able to take us because it's a schematic to be our best self and to have a lot of fun doing it.
1: So, Ward. There's a paradox in this uh, for business, in business for me. I want you to speak about it. The paradox is that business wants people generically, business wants people to be their best selves so they can make more money. There's a quality about it like we're going to manipulate you into being a fake best self so we can make more money. The Kempton uh, example, and I knew Bill Kempton very well, he was on the founding board of the uh, Hoffman Institute Foundation. I've sadly, he passed away in, I think, 2001. And, and I knew Mike DePaty, the very well, the uh, CEO for so many years. And they were just the opposite of that. They were actually committed to people's transformation, enlightenment, development with just a faith, not a manipulative idea, but just a faith in people that if people were being their best, that it would have a salutary effect on the on the business. And so it's a I want I want to want you to speak a little bit about that paradox, or I perceived it as a paradox.
2: Well to me that's the theme we've been talking about. And you're really putting your finger on it, which is the fake self, the fake full self would be the box. And so if you think about classic business training, it's about buy the book, standard operating procedure, wear the right suit, you're in the box. And that that model, which I would say is more of a, an authority based model uh, is a model that certainly has been around. It's a mechanical model. And yet over time, that model is starting to erode because one, it's not fun and therefore not sustainable. Uh, And two is it's not as productive. And so this is, again, where the nine doors Enneagram comes in is that once we can implement a tool to help people realize this much broader opportunity that we have to collaborate and have fun within an environment where that's being modeled from the top down, which is the absolute critical piece of all this, then you have the the opportunity to be at our best as a human being and as a species and as a team and uh, as a company. And that people feel that because what we have now, and to me, this is core to the successful business is what is the experience? What is the customer experience? What is the experience I have as an employee? What is the experience the investors are having? And when that experience is expansive Fun and hugely productive, which it is, because it comes naturally. Because people contribute more than they ever would if they were in a box. Now you have success in a whole new way that is unlimited, uh, and it's all based on trust and fun and awareness and great tools and uh, systematic approach that's modeled from the top down. And that's where we thrive as a species. And that's my dream to contribute as much as I can and as we can to help create that future for humanity.
0: You know, I, I love the connection between productivity and fun, between between output and our full humanity. And I, I'm seeing the synchronicity between the work you do, Ward, with the nine doors, the anagram, and the Hoffman process, because, you know, that is fundamental, the goofiness the spontaneity the play the joy to the personal growth the development the the full experience of who we are but let me ask you this question how do you integrate the process because i know you do recommend the process as a part of your work with the ceos and you've taken the process tell us a little bit about the hoffman process vis-a-vis your own development, and your own use of it in the work that you do.
2: As a graduate, and and just for the fun of it, certainly the process, the Q2s, the ongoing relationship with Raz and Liza and the team, and uh, you know the honor of being on the Advisory Council, which is just amazing to be part of that among the luminaries. It's a real honor right here <laughs> to be part of this mission, the Hoffman mission so i'll start with my origin story of my own process and this was uh and we had some fun with this earlier uh, that mine was in boulder creek uh so it was a rented space way before uh white sulfur springs and uh now as i'm so excited to see where hoffman will grow going forward but once white sulfur springs uh, came on board then i was doing my q2s there and that was just uh you know obviously uh the Hoffman experience. However, when I I did it in Boulder Creek uh, and I'll I'll name her because she's had a huge impact on me, lifelong Barbara, the amazing teacher uh, whom I'm sure many people know.
0: Barbara Comstock.
2: Barbara Comstock. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Barbara. So I was very vulnerable, very scared I I think I came into the process ready to open up, but still resisting opening up. And I had a lot of stories about myself that I would tell to other people that could, you know, present me in a positive light. And I have an interesting background. I would spin that up. And little did I know that it was actually a state of grandiosity uh, as a cover-up. And uh, as I got into the process and in the The depth of the rituals, which are extraordinary, uh, it just became harder and harder to have that defense structure in place, which is, I think, one of the critical elements of the process. And then the power of the teacher, and and in this case, Barbara, finally, and as I said to the two of you earlier, it's like I can remember the day, the moment, the color of the sun, the sight, and all that, where Barbara called me out as being grandiose. And it really pissed me off. It's like, damn it, no way. She's, you know, you can guess all the defensive strategies that come out when somebody's got their finger right on the pulse of what the issue is. And so I went into this heavy rebel, and I think this is part of the. I think the how the process unfolds way beyond just the event. Uh, because what happened with that call out and with my vulnerability being opened up and and it opened up this rebel, basically the little kid saying, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. And so what I ended up doing was using that rebel ironically to help me get out and get stuff done and deliver on what I believe I could do and step out of having to defend myself with this grandiosity. And over time, Uh, And this, I think, is the beauty of the process and of the power of the teachers is over time, 30 years now or however however long it's been, where that unfolded over time. And it's really helped me take who I am into a a zone where I can actually, I don't need to be grandiose now. I'm actually delivering on who I am and what I'm capable of. And so uh, I've gone from rebel to revolutionary Uh, And all that caused by that one moment of being called out when I was appropriately vulnerable as a result of all these Hoffman experiences. Uh, And now it's unfolded over a whole 30 year period to being here with the three of you or the three of us uh, and celebrating uh, accomplishments I've made that have taken my capabilities into reality. So there's a Hoffman story.
0: You use it as a part of your work, you recommend it to your team, and the people you work with?
2: Yes. Yeah. So my business partner is a Hoffman grad, has been for years. We refer people to Hoffman. We talk about Hoffman. Uh, Essentially, it's those who really want to do the deep work. That's where we send them. And obviously, not everybody is ready for that, especially in the environment we're in. Uh, But my kids have done it. And I've got three, two have done it. I want the third. I'm going to figure out how he's going to do it. What can I say? I'm a believer.
0: And Raz, did you want to jump in? Well, a couple of things I want to say is that
1: there are times when I have had a a student in the process. I remember one in particular, and uh, I coached, I did coaching with him for about a year after the process. And he had founded a very powerful, you know, billion dollar a year company. And uh, that was doing amazing things in the world. And I reached a certain point where I realized he was healed. He he knew he was healed, and now he wanted to figure out how to apply Hoffman in his company. And I said, "I want you to talk to Ward Ashman." And so Ward has helped that company grow and prosper much as he did with Kim, Kimpton, and that's a that's a wonderful thing too. So it, it kind of goes both ways, and I'm really thrilled about this conversation because. You know, we talked about how 50 years ago, Bob Hoffman and Claudio Naranjo, Claudio representing the Enneagram, Bob Hoffman representing the beginnings of Hoffman process, how they collaborated and in the beginning, in the spring of, of 1972, which in a couple of months will be 50 years, collaborated to do the first Hoffman process. And there is, I think, a spiritual infusion, if you will, going between these two ways of knowing that is enhancing each and both and so it's 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 really fun for me to think I'm standing in that tradition as we look forward to the next 50 years and talking with Ward who has had a transformational perspective uh who has a transformational perspective on the enneagram and uh, you know even as we here in Hoffman have worked really diligently to stand in the tradition, to stand in the lineage, to be lineage holders of uh, what Bob Hoffman brought forward. And that doesn't mean doing each and everything the way Bob would do it, but to evolve and create because we're standing in the place that it comes from. And uh, I love being connected with these two living traditions. And uh, that's become really clear from our conversation today.
2: Uh, And I think it's an honor for Claudio and his spirit and the influence that he has, even though it's called Hoffman process, it's so valuable to see Claudio's influence and now for us to be able to make that connection right now, Hoffman, Enneagram, Claudio, Bob, and honor this amazing, not just history, but this, unleashing of amazing opportunity and tools and perspective and processes to really help us ourselves and our families and our companies and our our world.
1: I agree. Yeah, it is beautiful. It's wonderful to be, to be in the place we are, being able to help shepherd this forward.
2: Yes, it's integrative.
0: Yeah, that's part of what I was going to say, to see the evolution of it, that it's not just It's both holding to the original intent of Claudio's work and Bob's work, and yet also advancing it and taking from the types to the doors, the nine doors. And when the process was rejuvenated about 10 years ago, going from eight days to seven days and tweaking it to keep up to date and to continue the growth of the work itself.
1: Yeah, and to uh, celebrate these two ways of knowing that draw followers from every spiritual and psycho- psychological lineage, Wherever, whatever anyone's background might be, Hoffman works. I think the same can be said for the Enneagram. I like the idea that we have a grasp on something that's profoundly human, and it's not something, there's nothing to believe in, either with Hoffman or with the Enneagram. But rather, there are ways of knowing, ways of knowing yourself and others. And there's a a key that kind of unlocks, what do they call those things? We have a master key, a skeleton key. Is that what it's called? But there's a key that unlocks all the doors. So I, I really like that these two ways of knowing are not about belief, uh, but they're actually about unlocking, unleashing human knowledge, human energy, human love, potential, intelligence. I like to say that love is the most powerful and intelligent force in the universe. And so far, I've been proven right about that in my own life. (laughs) But I think we all sort of inherently believe it. And Ward, I want to ask you, because I know Hoffman unleashes love, this free, open, loving, spontaneous self. And I've heard you allude to, but never used the word, I don't think, love so far. And I'd like to ask you to talk a little bit about love and the Enneagram. Love love in the time of Enneagram. Tell us about that.
2: Well, I think there's two themes. One is this this beautiful integration that we've just talked about between Hoffman, which is this deep work to access that love, love for ourselves and others. Uh, and bring it into the world. And then the Enneagram, Nine Doors, being able to take that love out into a community environment and and I would say deliver the love through compassion and through awareness and through, frankly, the skill to be able to, as I said earlier, interpret each other uh, accurately, what causes people to show up in a particular way? Uh, Why do they have these set of patterns? Why do they use this language? What is their uh, natural style that can be irritating to me? Why is that irritating? All these subtleties that we have as we're out in the community and in this process of interpreting each other, and frankly, for the most part, misinterpreting each other. That love, to me, is delivered through the compassion of being able to realize, oh, I get it. They're doing this because. And that's because of their wiring. It's not because they're not like me. It's because they're like them. And like being like them is actually an opportunity because now we're able to harness that diversity of all these differences that we have and use the love and the compassion and the awareness and the tools to be able to harness the diversity and see it as an asset rather than as a threat. That's where the unlocking the love becomes the driver for building community. And that the tool of the Enneagram is just a fabulous way to bring that out into all these network of relationships. And, and so going back to Bob and Claudio, how elegant is it that now that we're talking about the etiology of the Hoffman process, we're looking at Bob going deep into the, that intra-psychic realm, that deep psycho-spiritual essence, and Claudio coming in at the same time offering the tool of the Enneagram and and the pattern recognition that came from his use of the Enneagram. And now here we are 50 years later, integrating the two into this opportunity to take the insight of what the Hoffman process and the profound experience is out into the action plan to build community with compassion and love.
1: Absolutely. And I think Probably the best or most important, one of the key forms of love is compassion. And that's also inherent in the Enneagram. So that's another place that they connect. And I'm glad you drew that out a little bit. Thank you.
2: Yeah, it's a vehicle for compassion. Enneagram, the nine doors, is a vehicle for compassion. Because compassion comes from being open to seeing people who they are. And that is... Not just okay, that's a celebration of the human condition.
1: Speaking of compassion, one of the greatest experiences I had of self compassion was, you know, if I go back about 10 or 11 years ago, I was in a, I was a CEO of Hoffman. I had really worked myself into a box and I went to meet with you, Ward. I saw myself in a certain Enneagram type and I had a couple of hour session with you and came to see myself as a very different any any type than I had thought. And it was, again, a lot like your experience with Barbara. I didn't like it when I saw it, but it was totally liberating. And it's something I've been able to live into over all these years. And I started having compassion for myself that I had chosen that strategy for being, which was essentially a, a way of being above other people. And all my work since then has been about letting go of that and about connecting with people. And as I did that, the Enneagram type that I was also had a transformational dimension to it, which brought me into a greater level of service and selflessness.
0: You know, Raz, as you talk about that freedom that comes from it, it's through the acknowledgement of the patterns and the things that get in our way that then eventually yields to the liberation the freedom so i love that about the work that both the process and the nine doors by naming the things that stand in the way we actually are able to move beyond them and experience the freedom of not having them a part of who we are what a what a gift but it's hard at first as we have to face the things that, as you say, Ward, piss us off. <laughs> it's
1: been said, you know, over and over again that the truth shall set you free. But what they don't tell you is at first it'll piss you off. Uh, I bring that up somewhat jokingly, but also by way of saying, if you're really going to go into a path of spiritual growth, you have to be ready to encounter things and let go of things. Encounter things that aren't working, that are counterproductive, and find ways to let go of the things that we have all attached ourselves to, built a life around, created a strategy out of those things. And when they're patterns, they do not sustain life. And there are structures that will fulfill life. And as you discover those structures, that's the transformation from Enneagram box, prison cell to um, doors into yourself and doors, pathways into your own spirituality, pathways into compassion and connection and productivity with other people.
0: Well, you, both of you, Ward, Raz, such a fantastic conversation. What are you stepping out into the rest of the day? What are you taking from this conversation? that you'll bring into the rest of your day.
2: I think what I'll I'll key on what you said, Raz, is the power of recognizing the patterns, even if you don't wanna see them and it pisses you off, like my grandiosity ritual or, and by the way, I vividly remember our talk in San Francisco that you're referring to, that was a, a moment in time for me also quite profound, hugely profound. Um, It's this ability to see the pattern, acknowledge it, learn how to integrate it, even though we might be frustrated and, and really even feel ashamed to have to acknowledge it, and yet seeing it as a path toward liberation and as a pathway to being fully human. And, and I think that's, again, what Hoffman process does that. And Enneagram helps with that, especially, in Raz, I appreciate you acknowledging the difference between the type and the doorway model, which is, to me, very profound. And that once we see the patterns and we step into the doorway paradigm, it's like this: these patterns then become liberating. That's what I'm taking away, is just every time I see my patterns right now and I can see them. Uh that's, a, that's an opportunity for liberation.
0: And
1: for ful- fulfillment, because it's like in the Hoffman process, we turn over all these, these rocks, if you will, and uh, they all have the names of patterns on them, and so we're trying to get rid of all those patterns and transcend. But nobody tells you to turn over the rock that's got love written on it. So most spiritual traditions sort of leave that alone. But in fact, it is the negative love syndrome, which allows us to see the things that we have mistaken for love and identified with and inhabited. And so when we can understand that we took on these patterns out of a need for love, even though they're mistaken, they don't really sustain love, And then we can move into a free and open, loving and spontaneous way of being, which is charting your way into the unknown, navigating the mystery of life rather than trying to have the answers uh, in advance and the know how in advance. All that know how, that skill that you've acquired is great, even if it was in service to patterns, because once you've transformed, it becomes in service to uh, contribution. And uh, the skill set is itself transformed by virtue of what it's in service to. And so it's a, it's a paradox, it's confusing, but I like to say that I'm a man in search of a higher truth. I know some truths, I try to live them, but I'm, I'm ready to surrender those truths that I'm holding, holding up, if they're barriers, to me going through the door.
2: That, to me, Rez, is exactly what you said happened to you when we had our talk, implementing essentially the nine doors model into that two-hour chat we had. It was your opportunity to transform that elements of the negative love syndrome that you and I all, we all have into service. And it, it created a profound and immediate transformation. And I also want to acknowledge uh, Dr. Fisher, who gave us that through that amazing transmission uh, and essentially gave us that, that negative love syndrome as, a, as an extraordinary paradigm to grow from.
1: Now, you're, you're introducing a new element. We're almost to the end. Uh, so I'll just quickly say that Bob Hoffman was a psychic, a, an intuitive, and he had a friend who was a psychiatrist named Dr. Siegfried Fisher. And Bob claims that he received the transmission from Dr. Fisher, who was then on the other side, to him explaining the negative love syndrome and the quadrini model. But we'll save that for another day.
2: <laughs> That's a great
0: story. So grateful for this conversation. Thank you both.
2: Thank you. It's fun.
0: Thanks, Drew. Enjoy your day, men and uh Here's to surrendering truths that stand in the way of us learning and growing. I love that. Thanks, Drew. Thank you. Thank you, guys.
1: Thank you for listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Raz Ingrassi, Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love in themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org.